morning. I want to welcome you back to our series called The Last Words of Christ. We are, we are leaning in and listening carefully to what Jesus said from the cross as he was dying. You know, last words can be very powerful. They can be very profound. Not everyone has the opportunity to uh, communicate last words. That doesn't always happen, but when it does, it can be a, a significant thing. When I was in Turkey, we have a picture here of the city of Izmir, and in that city, this is kind of cool, in the, in the middle of this city, modern city, uh, there are ruins from the ancient city of Smyrna. You have that? There we go. So just imagine a modern city and right smack dab in the middle of it, you have ruins like this, and, and uh, there's probably throughout the city, this is just what they've unearthed and they're preserving. But what's interesting about Smyrna is it was where a Christian bishop named Polycarp, how many have ever heard of Polycarp? So Polycarp uh, was a, a Christian leader in the, in the church, uh, and he was arrested for refusing to renounce his faith in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And his punishment for that was to be burned to death as a martyr. And his last words were uh, recorded. His last words were this, 86 years I have served Christ, nor has he ever done me any harm. How then could I blaspheme my king who saved me? I bless you, Father, for judging me worthy of this hour, so that in the company of martyrs I may share the cup of Christ. Those are some pretty powerful last words. In the face of suffering and death, of uh, the idea of I'm about to be burned to death, uh, these are the words that came from Polycarp's lips. And it's, it's not just the courage, which I admire. I, I'm incredibly inspired by the courage that he showed in that time of his life, but it's also this perspective that he had about suffering. You think about it like this, for 86 years, uh, this man follows Jesus, and uh, from what we know about him, he defended uh, a number of doctrines from heresy, loved and led people in the gospel, and so you take a guy like that, and then it all ends by being burned to death? And some might look at that and wonder, where's God in this? Why did God abandon Polycarp? But Polycarp asked a very different question. His question was, how could I reject? How could I blame the one who saved me from sin and hell? The one who is waiting for me on the other side of this life with eternal life and a home in heaven? That's a very different question, isn't it? A very different perspective. He didn't feel abandoned by God. He took comfort in knowing that Jesus was with him in his pain, that Jesus was not abandoning him during his suffering. It's interesting. Same same situation that some people would look at very differently. I want you to think about the last season of difficulty, last season of suffering, if you will, or, or, or a painful experience that you went through. Maybe you're in it right now. And I'm not asking you to think about it to bum you out, you know, on a cold, snowy day. I, I'm asking you to think about it because I want you to think about how you responded 
or how you are responding now in this season of pain or difficulty that you are experiencing or experienced in the past. Did you feel alone? Did you feel abandoned by God? Did you think, wait a minute, God should protect me. I'm a good person. I show up at church on a regular basis. I, I, don't, I don't go around cussing people out. I, I, I'm, I'm a good person. God should protect me from pain and suffering, and He didn't. So He must have His attention somewhere else. Is that what you thought? Or when you were in that season of difficulty and pain, did you feel the comfort of knowing that God was with you in the suffering? Did you have a sense of hope that God would bring you through it to the other side? Two very different responses to maybe something very similar in, in, in pain, and yet two people experience the same thing and, and look at it very differently. I'm going to ask if you would join me back at the cross. Would you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27? Matthew chapter 27, we're going to continue to lean in and listen carefully to the things that Jesus said as He was dying from the cross, and we're going to jump back into verse 45. Now, I'm reading from uh, the, the, the New Living, and I'm going to go back and maybe address some things that might be in, in the NIV, uh, New King James, New American, just to make sure that we're all on the same page with what we're reading here. Uh, because I uh, just want to make sure you have an understanding of, of the scene, of the setting, because I think it's important. But verse 45 tells us it's at noon. And if you have a different version, it, it jumps into the scene uh, telling us uh, that uh, Jesus was crucified at, the, I believe, the first hour. So it's, time was recorded or, or understood differently in the first century. So it's 9 a.m., just... Think of it like this, it's 9 a.m. when Jesus is crucified, and at noon, darkness fell across the whole land for three hours. So I want you to imagine that scene where Jesus is on the cross for three hours, and at noon, darkness falls across the land, and I believe the, the, the NIV describes it in a way that it's, uh, it's a darkness that can be felt. But it's about 3 o'clock, and, and, and Jesus called out with a loud voice. And you might have uh, either Eli or Eloi. Eli or Eloi, lama sambachthani. And so this is, this is Arabic, and it means, it's translated, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? So listen carefully. It's dark, and, and, and not just like there's cloud cover, like this is a supernatural thing that God does, and there's just darkness. And you hear Jesus from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This darkness is important for us to understand what was happening because it's a symbol uh, throughout Scripture of God's judgment, of God's wrath. In Exodus chapter 10, the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards the sky so that darkness will spread over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. So, so Moses stretched out his hand towards the sky and total darkness covered all of Egypt for three days. And we know this is a miracle of God. It's not just cloud cover because it says all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. This was something supernatural that God did 
expressing his judgment and wrath upon the Egyptians. Amos chapter 8 says, In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon. It will be dark and and, and, uh, darken the earth in the broad daylight. And then it goes on in that chapter to describe the judgment, the wrath of God. So God has used darkness as as a symbol of His judgment. And it was in this time of darkness that Jesus cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama simbachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you hear that, it's hard to hear, isn't it? It's hard to understand how the Son of God would feel abandoned by His heavenly Father, because it seems When we hear it, it seems to rub against our understanding of God's character and the nature of God and who God has revealed Himself to be throughout Scripture. We take a lot of comfort in verses that promise that God will never leave us, that He'll never forsake us, don't we? We love those verses. Hebrews 13.5 is one example The writer of Hebrews writes, Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Because God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Which is a wonderful promise. The writer of Hebrews was actually referencing something that Moses said and recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 31. Here's the scene. Imagine this. Uh, Moses is 120 years old and he is giving some last words. To the Israelites, there's this transition. Uh, they're getting ready to go into the promised land. He is not going to be leading them. There's a transition uh, of leadership happening from Moses over to Joshua. And he said this in Deuteronomy to the people of Israel. He says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of the inhabitants of the promised land. For the Lord your God goes with you. Listen, He will never leave you nor forsake you. And the writer of Hebrews took that promise and applied it to followers of Christ in a very practical way, saying this, don't put your trust in money. Put your trust in God. Even if you don't have a lot, even if if you don't have very much money, Uh, It's not because God has abandoned you. Trust God even when you don't have a lot. Don't put your trust in something that can be lost. Put your trust in God who, who will not leave you, who will not abandon you. And we love that verse. Don't you love that verse? And so what Jesus said from the cross... It raises within us some difficult questions. Well, what did he mean by that? What was was happening in that moment that would cause him to cry out with this expression, this this feeling of abandonment? And, And maybe when you hear it, it raises some questions within your own heart, within your own mind about suffering and and pain that you have experienced or are in the middle of right now. And and maybe it raises some questions for you about moments when you have felt like, has God overlooked me? Is God's attention elsewhere? Has He he forgotten about me or abandoned me? I I read Hebrews 13.5, I want to believe that, but I don't feel like that right now. 
the video that we watched at the beginning uh, about Martha and her story. Here's how it fits into what we're talking about today. Uh, some of you may know the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Uh, they were siblings. They were really close friends with Jesus. And Lazarus got sick and he was dying. So Mary and Martha sent word. They got a message to Jesus who was within the region that he could have gotten there in time to be able to uh, lay hands on or just speak the words and, and have Lazarus be healed. That's, they, they understood that that was uh, something that Jesus could do. And so they were asking uh, Jesus to come and heal their brother. And he didn't. He didn't come. And Lazarus died. And Jesus showed up after Lazarus had already been in the tomb, in the grave for four days. And when Jesus showed up, Martha came to him and said, Jesus, if, if you'd have been here, then our brother wouldn't have died. And Mary said the same, same thing to him. So you know, you know, Mary and Martha, you know, they're having this conversation over those several days. Where's Jesus at? If he'd been here, Lazarus would still be alive. And so they say the same thing to him. And, and in those words, they're expressing they felt like Jesus had let them down. That he had forsaken them when they needed him the most. Now, if you don't know the story, it's not where the story ends. Jesus, Jesus waited for Lazarus to die on purpose. He tells us, he told his disciples that that's what he was going to do because he intended to raise Lazarus from the dead as proof of his, his power over death. I want you, though, to fast forward uh, back to the cross in your mind. None of, the, none of the gospel writers record Martha being at the cross uh, but imagine if she had been, or imagine this, imagine when she heard someone who was at the cross, or, or she later reads it, uh, when, when she finds out that from the cross, in the darkness, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I wonder, I wonder how that would have uh, settled on her heart as she remembered how she felt. when she felt abandoned or forsaken. Obviously, that's a monologue. It's a dramatization, so we don't know for sure. But I, I, I love how it ends. I love how that monologue ends, this idea of uh, the story wasn't over. There's always hope for a different ending because it, I think it, it communicates this bigger picture way of looking at suffering, like Polycarp, this bigger picture way of looking at our pain a way of saying, you know, this song is really sad right now. The, what we're experiencing right now is difficult and it's sad, but it's not over. There, there is a verse in this song coming that will be so much better than the one we're singing now. If we stand again and just listen to Jesus from the cross say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think let's first just deal with a theological tension that we feel over those words. If you imagine the scene, noon, three hours of darkness covering the land, a symbol of God's wrath and God's judgment. What's, what's happening to Jesus that we can see is incredibly terrible. 
the, the physical anguish and pain that he was experiencing is unimaginable. But what was happening to Jesus in those moments that we cannot see was even more terrible. 2 Corinthians 5.21, and I think it's on the screen for you, says this, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It was in this time that the wrath of God was on Jesus. He became sin for us. He took our punishment for our sin. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. If we can try to imagine God's wrath against all sin, past, present, future, was poured out on Jesus. The pain of the Father's wrath must have felt like the abandonment from the person that you would be closest to. You know, the Bible describes hell as, e as this place of torment, right? And, and the greatest torment of hell is eternal separation from God. And I wonder if that is what the wrath of God felt like to Jesus. Only, only Jesus knows. He's the one who experienced it. But he expressed that pain with the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here's where being an, an American in 2022 becomes for us a big disadvantage, though, when, when we're trying to have an understanding of certain parts of Scripture, this being one of them. This cry from the cross... Uh, you know, we hear it in, in our present context, and, and we understand the feeling of abandonment. That makes sense to us in the context of what was happening to Jesus and, and, and being uh, the recipient of God's wrath, taking on our sin. We, we get that. But this cry from the cross would have meant something very profound to a first century Jew who would have been standing there hearing this in real time. I'm going to ask if you would to join me in Psalm 22. Would you join me there? Psalm 22. And I want you to look at the first verse of Psalm 22. Does it look familiar to you? Psalm 22, verse 1. Listen to this. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Didn't we just hear that? We just heard that fall from the lips of Jesus. If you look at uh, the heading of Psalm 22, there's some information that's given to us. This was a Psalm of David, but do you notice the other information that we're given? It's to be sung to the tune of Doe of the Dawn. This is a song, and we're even given the tune to which it's supposed to be sung to. So what, what Psalm 22 is, is a song. And as, as Jesus expressed His pain and His suffering, He was quoting the first line to this song. 
And every Jew, almost every Jew, that would have been standing there at that moment would have recognized that line and would have known and, and, and uh, understood that song. I'll put it like this in our present context. If you go to a restaurant, maybe you go after church today or sometime you go to a restaurant, and you're sitting there just enjoying your meal, and in the middle of your meal you hear somewhere in the restaurant this song break out, happy birthday to you, you would know in that moment that someone is celebrating a birthday. Even if you just hear the tune, you would recognize that. And if you wanted to, you could even join in the celebration with people that you don't even know. We've done that. We like to, uh, when we hear someone else uh, in the restaurant, we sing along and we cheer them on because we're weird and we like to do that kind of stuff. You were at a baseball game. Let's say you went to the bathroom at some point, and you're in there a while because you had too many hot dogs. Let's just be honest what you did, okay? So you, you're in there a while, and uh, you came out like several innings. Like it's a scene. And so you, you come out several innings later, and when you came out, the fans were all singing, take me out to the ball game. You would know that you were in the middle of the seventh inning without even having to look at the scoreboard. And you could even join in with the rest of the fans because you know the song, you know, the Peanuts and Cracker Jacks and Hope I Don't Get Back. You know it. If you were, if you were in a store... You were in your car and some Christmas music was playing. So let's just, let's imagine it's August because I think that's when they start playing Christmas music now. Uh, whenever you, you, you hear Christmas music playing and the song Silent Night comes on and you start singing along because you know this song. Even with the first line as it starts, most Christians at least, uh, would have an image in their mind of a Christmas Eve service, candlelight service, maybe snow falling, whatever would be in your mind. But you have, you have a connection to that song because we sing it like every year at, at the Christmas Eve service. If you hear the national anthem play, and, and maybe it's on TV, maybe it's at an event that you are at, but, but when you hear the national anthem, all you have to do is hear the first line, Oh, say can you, and you stop what you're doing because you know what to do. You stop. You take your hat off, you put it over your heart, or you stand like this, and, and you're silent, or maybe you sing along. But you hear that start, you hear that, that first line, and, and, and you know what it means. You know the song. And Psalm 22, you get the point with me? Psalm 22 was a song like that for the first century Jew. They all knew it. And so when Jesus quoted it from the cross... It, was, it wasn't just the first line to that song that they would have recognized. They would have known the whole song. And that song has meaning to them. The first part of this song is sad. The first part of this song is about pain and suffering 
and this feeling of abandonment. Look at this. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. Verse 6, I am a worm, not a man. Imagine feeling that way. I am scorned and despised by all. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads saying, Oh, is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. You can just hear the anger and the sneering and the mocking. Verse 14, My life is poured out like water. And, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. Have you ever felt like that? The first part of this song is, is raw. And, and it describes just this, this raw... Uh, suffering and pain that a person feels. But then there is a shift in the song. There's a shift in the song towards this message of hope. The song is not over. Look at verse 19. O Lord, do not stay far away. You are my strength. Come quickly to my aid. Save me from the sword. Spare my precious life from these dogs. Snatch me from the lion's jaws and from the horns of these wild oxen. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. Praise the Lord, all you who fear him. Honor him, all you descendants of Jacob. Show him reverence, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not, listen, he has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. He has not turned his back on them, but has listened to their cries for help. I will praise you in the great assembly. I will fulfill my vows in the presence of those who worship you. The poor will eat and be satisfied. All who seek the Lord will praise him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. Is this the same song? Yes, it's the same song. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. The whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to Him. All the families of the nations will bow down before Him. For royal power belongs to the Lord. He rules all the nations. Let the rich of the earth feast and worship, bow down before him, all who are mortal, all whose lives will end as dust. Our children will also serve him. Future generations will hear about the wonders of the Lord. His righteous acts will be told to those not yet born. They will hear about everything he has done. The NIV uh, ends that this way. He has done it. This is the gospel message of the cross. Because the cross in this moment that we're reading in Matthew 27, in that moment it looks hopeless. In that moment it looks final. Here all we see in front of us is pain and suffering and darkness and wrath. 
And it starts with this feeling of abandonment by God, but the song is not over. The song shifts to a message of hope in that Jesus just paid our sin debt in full. He finished His mission to be a sacrificial substitute payment to appease the wrath of God against our sin. And in that moment, the moment when Jesus quoted the first line to Psalm 22, He was declaring the song is not over. Hope of better day is coming. And the better day coming was the resurrection. The better day coming was our salvation. The better day coming was our transformation by the power of the resurrection through faith in Jesus. The better day coming is Christ returning and keeping His promise of a new heaven and a new earth. The better day coming is our future home with Jesus forever. Free from the suffering, free from the pain of our present life experiences. I think I understand why Martha in that moment felt abandoned or maybe she felt overlooked or, or maybe, maybe it was disappointment that Jesus didn't do what she asked of him. But here's the thing about that. You always got to read a little bit farther. I want you to go back with me to John chapter 11 when this story is recorded. Her words are recorded in John 11. If you look at verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And in that, we kind of feel this disappointment or we feel like uh, this sense of, of abandonment. But she doesn't stop there. Verse 22 says, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. See, for Martha, the story, the song is not over. And Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. She knew that there was a, a resurrection of the saints coming. And Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who, uh, who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? And she said, yes. I've always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. That moment for Martha was painful. The moment on the cross was painful. But because of Jesus and what He did on the cross, the song isn't over. There is hope for better days coming. I don't know what song is on your heart this morning. Like when you walked in here, what song might have been on your heart? Maybe, maybe it's a country song. You know, where you lost your truck, and you lost your dog, and you lost your girlfriend, you lost your self-respect, and, you, and you're looking for it all at the bottom of a bottle. That's pretty much all country songs, right? That's, that kind of summarizes them. And, and, and I don't know, maybe, that, maybe that's a song on your heart. Maybe, maybe the song on your heart lately has been a pop song about being angry with some boy that did you wrong, or 
Maybe uh, when you turn on the news, uh, the pop song that keeps playing on, on your heart is, it's the end of the world as we know it. Right? Maybe that's the song that's playing in your mind. Maybe lately when you're walking through life, the song that's playing on a loop is uh, the, 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 oh, I can't remember the, the name of the artist, but uh, the artist, some lady, uh, she says, all by myself. Remember that song? And, and maybe the, the loneliness is the song that's been playing on a loop on your mind and in your heart. I don't know what song's playing on your heart this morning, but I, I want to tell you what song plays on my heart on the hardest days, when the days are dark and when life is, is challenging. And I'm just going to give you the, the first three words to the chorus, and I bet some of you were like, I get it. How about this? If I sang to you, it is well, how many of you immediately would know the song? And you get it, right? Just three words, and you get it. If you're not familiar with the song, listen to this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, things are great, things are amazing and refreshing. When sorrows like sea billows roll, you get that image? That image is like the suffering and the pain and the, and the, and the terrible stuff. It just keeps hitting me like a wave after wave after wave. So there's some days when I'm like by the babbling brook and I'm fishing and the sun is shining and the trout are getting up onto the bank or whatever. And then there's days when I'm just getting slammed. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That plays on a loop on my heart. Verse 2, though Satan should buffet. Now I had to look that up because when I read the word buffet, I think buffet and I think... Uh, Chinese, and that's not what that means. And so I look it up, and it's, it means to slap someone in the face. When Satan slaps us in the face with violence, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control, control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. And it leads into my sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin. Listen to this. I love this. Not in part, not just a little bit, but the whole, all of it, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound. The Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well. It is well with my soul. When my heart is, is hurting and I feel alone, my heart goes back to Isaiah 43 that says, Now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Why? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. I am your Savior. That passage plays on a loop. That song is on my heart on the darkest days. Listen, we, we can be open and honest about our pain 
and about our suffering and still have hope of better days coming. We can still have this assurance that we are not alone. And it's because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so I want to challenge you this morning to put songs of hope in your heart. And maybe it's hymns like that. Maybe it's contemporary uh, song that you, you hear on, on the message or on Caleb, like, uh, uh, it's, uh, I'm, I'm forgetting them now. Um, bless the Lord is one that I think of. Bless the Lord uh, is, is a powerful, or blessings is another one that comes to mind. But just have these songs, uh, these songs of hope on, on, on your heart and, and memorize Scripture. Have just tons and tons of Scripture these songs of hope from, from the Word of God. You know, Psalm 22 was something that almost every Jew would learn that song. When I was growing up, my mom had Michelle and I memorize Psalm 23. How many of you memorize Psalm 23? Yeah. Lord is my shepherd, right? And, and I shall not want. He'll lead me beside quiet waters. That's a, that's a refreshing. You know, even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there's these, these images in that song that when we hear references from it, man, it fills us with hope. I want you to imagine standing there that day at the cross in the middle of the darkness, in the middle of the suffering, and you hear Jesus quote a line from a song that reminded you that no matter how bad things are right now in this moment, that the song is not over. Because of what Jesus did, we have this hope, this, this assurance of better days coming. Imagine if you didn't know that song. You'd have missed it. All you would have heard was the agony. All you would have heard was the despair. So put songs of hope in your heart and put words of hope and encouragement into the hearts of those around you. And on, on our darkest days, could I just challenge us as a church, let's remind each other on the dark days the song is not over. Let's remind each other that He has done it. In the moment in your life today, or maybe sometime uh, in, in the near future, it might be dark, it might be full of pain, but let's, let's make sure we sing the whole song of Jesus. I'm not saying you have to pretend everything's okay when it's not. I'm not saying you have to go around telling people that you're fine when you're not. We can be open and honest with God and with each other about our pain. Let's just remember to sing the whole song. That song that transforms our pain into hope. Into hope of better days coming because of what Jesus did for us.